Blog Talk Radio. This is Patty Holster, and this is KWOD Radio, and we're on live. And guess what? It's Sunday. I know, you're thinking, what is she going to say next? Hey, Sunday's always better than Monday. You knew I was going to say that, though, didn't you? <laughs> we're going to be talking about the happenings in space news. By space news, we mean that's outer space news. Who and what's going on, going up, going who, going what's coming down. And even some things that may be coming not down the pike. Al and Joe are here talking about their own spin on this news. And as a certain person decides to give me his notes. <laughs> The notes are on your desk, ready to roll. We've got a nice big slate for tonight. Lots of stuff to, to talk about that have happened. <clears throat> and one thing I want you all to remember is, as we get going here, um, you know, I'm not perfect. No matter how hard I try and no matter how much my exes claim I want to be perfect, um, and no, they're not all in Texas. But, um, you know, we, we, we really try to make sure we cover a lot of the stuff um, that's going on this week and to cover it as we talk tonight and then to, to give us our, our discussion for commentary. So we're going to... Hey, 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 hey. Let's do some business here. Let me do some business. Well, you know, we want them to call in. You know, oh, yeah, yeah, you gotta yeah. You've got to issue the challenge. All right, guys. Guys and gals. Boys and girls. Ladies and, well, those whatever. of you who try to be gentlemen. We'll give and, you that And whatever credit. in between. And whatever know, in between. We don't judge. This is the next space. <laughs> and the next space is about frontier. And in the frontier, we want to be challenged. We want to cross that frontier and push outward, ever outward. So, you know, if you see something on here that captures your attention, makes you wonder, uh, and so forth, feel free to question us. Challenge us. No, I do. I dare you. I double dog dare you. <laughs> so do not be afraid to join us. Our number here is 714-242-5145. Also, the, uh, I'd like to let you know that I'll be putting up the links on the chat. So uh, those are clickable links, and if they're not, I'll fix it. And just letting you know that in chat. And if you have any questions, if you're shy, heaven knows we're not, but you're shy, then go ahead and put your, your question or comment in the chat area down below the information about the show, and I will just haul right over to uh, 
to Al and challenge him. <laughs> so, yeah, definitely. Call in, question us, challenge us. I dare you. We will be talking. Our show is put together in two parts. First, we cover the news. We talk about a lot of the happenings. Now, you know, realistically, we can't cover everything, so if we miss something, pass it on. Something you think we ought to cover, let us know. Um, however, we try and cover most of the, the news that's going on, and one of the things that we specifically try to cover is uh, for, for anything that leads us towards human spaceflight. Um, we don't cover things like astronomical photographs or great images from the Hubble. Um, or your great aunt in like a big suit. Or your great aunt in the big suit. No, no. Okay. Right, sure. Okay. But the reason <laughs> is because there's so many of those awesome photographs. You need to go discover those for yourself. Find the, one, find the ones that you like and you want to keep, put on your wallpaper, share with friends. You know, drive them nuts practice. with all the print, uh, printouts, you know, all that kind of good stuff. Here we're going to talk about news that actually affects us getting to that next frontier. And we've got a good list of stuff. Uh, are we ready to begin? I already started. Oh, you already started. Okay. Well, <laughs> then let's let's play a little catch-up. NASA publishes the results of the, the NASA NSS 2014 Space Settlement Design Contest. Two groups tied for the grand prize with their submission being placed on the NASA Ames Worldwide website. Now, this contest is co-sponsored by NASA Ames and the National Space Society, NSS, to all you space geeks, and encourages all students up to the 12th grade, that's usually 18 years old, from anywhere in the world to submit entries by their team of up to five members. Now, if you do happen to come up with a larger team, they're judged separately. Now, entries are also grouped by age, grade of the oldest contestant for judging. The grand prize is awarded to the best entry regardless of contestant age and students develop space settlement designs and related materials. Now these are set to NASA Ames for judgment. Now we put the links up there. Um, they actually had a tie for first prize this year. Wow. Um, and that's, that's unusual. Yeah. Um, and it, it was, it was kind of interesting because the two groups, um, one is, one's name was Green Space, um, a team of three students, grade 11, and the other one was called VONA, V-O-N-A, uh, was actually a large team of six students in grade 10. So check this out, guys. There's some interesting designs out there. Um, and these kids are quite imaginative. Uh, I've seen some of the designs come through this over the years, and they do some incredible stuff, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you. Um, speaking of some incredible stuff, the Hubble has located two new Kuiper Belt objects for future New Horizons mission. Now, for those of you who don't know, New Horizons is a mission headed out that direction. Um, and what Hubble did is they successfully showed that they can find new KB objects by spotting two of them in a trial run. The achievement means it can now be used to conduct an intensive search for a suitable outer solar system object that the New Horizons spacecraft could visit after it zips by Pluto in July of next year. So all you guys looking for new photos, there's going to be a boatload of photos coming soon. Now, <laughs> what? Okay. <laughs> what, you laughing at my pun? Uh-huh. Oh, okay. I'll let you do that. The Saturn probe Cassini is about to hit end of life. 
And NASA has decided, in fact, they, they shortly they had a, a contest recently to define what the final name of the final segment of the, the mission would be. And what they decided oh, was grand finale. <laughs> now, Cassini was launched towards Saturn in October bang. of, what's that? I would have called it the Big Bang. Well, there you go. <laughs> they launched Cassini towards Saturn back in 97 and arrived in orbit 10 years ago. Now, NASA, ESA, and the Italian Space Agency have been collaborating on, the, on this mission for the entire 10 years. Now, they've detected plumes of water ice blasting from geysers off of Enceladus. They've dropped a lander named Huygens onto Saturn's moon Titan back in 2005. And in late 2016, Cassini will start zipping between Saturn and its innermost rings a total of 22 times in a mission phase called the Cassini Grand Finale, which will end in 2017, September, when they intentionally dive into the glass giant's, gas giant's atmosphere. Boy, wouldn't a glass giant be, be awesome? That would be shattering. That would go. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting. I mean, it's, just, it's what, almost a 15-year mission by the yeah. time all is said and done and, and all that they've it come up like with. sounds like one of our favorite shows. Huh? 15-year mission. 15-year mission. Oh. Yeah, right. Okay. Let's move on from that one. Leave the splat. 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 I got to get right. some sound effects for that. Oh, yeah. We, we got to have a few. All right. <laughs> uh, you know, for, for you robotics guys, we got some interesting news here. Um, NASA uh, put up, back in uh, 2011, they delivered... Robonaut 2, uh, a humanoid robot, basically belt line upwards. So, uh, sorry, ladies, nothing there for you. Uh, and he's got, but he's got the arms. He's got hands capable of performing simple tasks such as flipping switches and and picking up a moving stuff. Now, his original mission was to Sounds support. Like a man. Yeah, that was the I was actually that was the idea. His original mission uh, was to support external work on the station. And the hope was that they could reduce human EVAs. Now, the technology developed during the program has inspired other ideas and adaptations, several spin-offs. Now, and here's here's three of them just to give you a, a little thing. X1 is an exoskeleton to help astronauts exercise and stay healthy while spending long periods in space. But scientists also think it has the potential to be uh, a great tool for people uh, suffering from stroke or paraplegia. Some way to maybe let them walk That's again. Interesting idea. Yeah. Uh, also, the spaceship gloves that are really stiff and hard to use. All right. Robo gloves designed with uh, all sorts of flexible tendons that can assist grip force and so forth. So what they're doing now is they're taking robo uh, glove, basically Robonaut's hand, and they're using it to incorporate it into a spacesuit that would reduce the fatigue and actually allow the astronauts to have a little bit more dexterity, a little more control, and a lot less fatigue. Now, lastly, tests at a Methodist hospital in Houston have shown it's possible for this robot, Robonaut, to guide a user's hand to stick a needle in a vein. Now, why would we want to do that? Okay. Scientists think that Robonaut could assist astronauts performing medical procedures in space. But you know, I, I can tell you right now, I could imagine this could be 
real value we, we saw that, for troops in our countries. Didn't we see that in Prometheus, that movie, where the robot did the... Yeah, the robot did the surgery yeah, on the gal, yeah. pulling out that, that critter. Oh, jeez. You know, okay. get it out of me, get it out of me, get it and out of me now! And going like, all oh, them good times. <laughs> But you know, this would keep could be great for battlefield surgery. Yeah. If if the robot can yeah, actually do telepresence surgery and things like that. You're not stressed. Uh, yeah. Exactly. So, you know, cool stuff coming out of, of um, NASA's projects and things that we're we're using in space. And of course, if you're on a long trip, uh, say you're headed to Mars and you're on a you're on a six month mission outbound or you're on the two year mission back you know, and something seriously happens, you know, even with the, the time delay, um, the Robonaut could be a real lifesaver, seriously, in a situation like that on a remote spacecraft. So lots of, lots of cool stuff happening there. Um, as we go down, uh, and do check out the links. There's actually a couple of them on this one, guys. Um, in international news, for those of you following Skyline, um, the uh, independent news in the UK recently put an article out where they did a bio on Alan Bond. Now, Alan Bond is the, the engineer and brain behind the Skyline and the Sabre engine. Now, for those of you who don't know, although I seriously doubt there are many in the distance in the range of my voice who don't know, but, but Sabre is a dual function engine. This is an air breathing rocket engine. Seriously. It starts out as a jet on takeoff, takes off, puts Skyline up there just like a jet, gets up to altitude, then it literally morphs. It's a freaking transformer. Wow. It morphs and changes That'd its... That would be cool <laughs> Well, the engine's function changes. Basically, it closes some ports, opens a few others, opens the, the fuel valves, and then becomes a hydrogen-breathing uh, rocket and finishes the trip all the way up into orbit. <laughs> it's an awesome concept, but they have been struggling uh, over the last uh, couple of decades to get the engine to work. Now, they just recently, uh, and I think we talked about this a few, uh, few weeks back, how they actually succeeded in developing um, one of the, uh, the, the, the mechanisms that will handle the ex extremes of heat within the engine. Uh, one of the things that I was reading, in fact, in this article, they talk about how the engine will be going from hundreds of degrees um, of temperature all of a sudden, when it begins to change over to a rocket engine, down to below zero temperatures. And that kind of a shock can really do some serious damage to, to an engine, whether it's a rocket engine or otherwise. So, you know, a lot of technological issues that they face uh, as they bring Skylon closer to reality. Mm. Uh, speaking of things coming to reality, uh, ATK has supported NASA uh, in its drive uh, to build a landing craft, and they've provided propulsion structure for the test of new technologies to land larger payloads on Mars. And in fact, um, the recent LDSD, or low-density supersonic decelerator, that, that flying saucer craft with the rocket in the middle. Do you remember seeing that? Uh, they they, they just down. did that back on the 28th. And oh, okay. Yeah, that was NASA's flying saucer kind of thing. 
Uh, ATK has uh, helped NASA move a step closer, low, a step closer to landing bigger payloads on Mars. Because one of the things that we struggle with is we can only send things certain sizes into space. We just don't have the lift capability to send huge things. And even then, if we get them into space, making a safe landing on Mars, or for that matter, the moon, I mean, the Chinese and, and their little rabbit, Jade Rabbit, uh, rover on the moon has uh, has struggled. And of course, that's a for a first effort. It was great, uh, great work on the part of the Chinese. I'll tell you I'm what. The rabbit. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, but uh, it was a great test. Lots of lots of good info in the article to to check out on. Russia has been developing their new um, new rocket, the Angara series has been in development for 20 years and is intended to become the primary vehicle for Russia's unmanned space missions. Now, satellite launches, things like that. Now, their inaugural launch was supposed to come from the Plesek Cosmodrome in northern Russia, but at the last minute they canceled it, uh, or an abort was triggered by the computer. Now, it took them a while to figure it out. Now, the thing about this rocket is, is it's 100% Russian built. Now, right now, um, they get a lot of their uh, a lot of their rockets are now um, come from the Ukraine, and they get launched from the Baikonur Cosmodrome in Kazakhstan. So it's it's a lot like what the U.S. is struggling with, getting its engines from Russia and having to send astronauts up via the Soyuz craft when it goes up. Um, so everybody really. Is, is struggling. Yeah, it, it really does. Um, as is, as of Sunday, the thirtieth of June, Russian space officials have not yet identified the cause of that last-minute um, abort of the launch, and they haven't set a new date for the launch of the Angara rocket well, yet. So can't unless they figure it out. Well, yeah, that's that's the case. We got a couple of links on that one. Um, if you want to follow that uh, that story as well. Um, Two of those guys in that one. Now, ESA has been working on an intermediate experimental vehicle that they're getting ready for a November test. Now, right now, uh, it's in Holland this month for some shaking trials. We're going to shake it up. Shake it, baby. Shake it up. <laughs> Um, the uh, the ITX as it's called or IXV sorry I got got my acronyms a little backwards is going to be launched in November on top of the Vega launch vehicle and this is basically going to be a, a, a reference mission they want to make sure that the technology that they're looking for uh, which is reentry tech and integrated systems tech is actually going to function well and the, everything looks good so far That's so great. they're 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 excited about that. It's cool to see further progress being made for that. For those of you interested in space settlement. Um, and who shouldn't be? Well, sure. Space settlement is going to be an important thing. And I, and I know there's a lot more people talking about it these days. Um, they've, they've calculated a magic number. Magic minimum number. What, what is the magic minimum number? Well, it's the minimum number that you got to have for a space, long space trip. In other words, for enough people to survive to be oh, okay. able to procreate on the other end and grow a small colony. 
Gotcha. Well, now you're gonna. Ha I'm gonna refer you to read the article because there's actually two magic numbers. Okay. The first one, uh, John Moore, the University of Florida Joint Space Scientist, in a combined effort to determine how humans might successfully undertake these long journeys into space. Now, by long journeys, we're talking of a hundred years or more. That okay. Is a long journey. Yeah. So we're we're talking trips that might be going to another star or another solar system, you know, that type of thing. Now... Star Trek coming alive. There we go. Well, almost Star Trek. What was the, what was the group that shipped the, the Botany Bay? Was a sleeper ship, which is one of the technologies that people have been looking at over the years. But what he wanted to do um, is he wanted to look beyond cryogenics, beyond sperm banks, or beyond a military-style expedition, and says the right stuff is family. Okay. Is a family. Well, you st it's it's the oldest institution in human human history. It really is the family unit. So what he suggests. You know what's right next to that? What? The hookers? Yeah. Well, that's true. <laughs> yeah, I said old age old thing. A guy's never satisfied with just yeah, one or two or three. You know. So I mean, in, this little, in this case, it's literal. Really well, know. and you know, the thing of it is, uh, I, I can remember reading many stories over the years that talk about differing versions of how do you handle the uh, issues that a lot of people have when you get into tight-knit groups over a long period of time where you're isolated. You're going to have partnerships and, and associations uh, be made at and how do you handle those, and what do you do about them, how many people do you need to have so that you can have a decent collection of these partnerships take effect and take root and grow. And he actually talks about some of these things. He suggests a minimum number of 160 people are needed to maintain a stable population. Okay, well, that's the first question, to maintain a stable population. Now, he also goes into detail about the practices to both select candidates and what methods they might use for mate selection while on the, on the voyage. And some of the things that he talks about are, are intriguing. Some of them make sense. Some of the things we've seen before, you know, health, welfare, uh, psychological choices and things, and how you choose to be with other people, how you make associations. But he also talks about some other things that aren't quite so obvious. So check out that article. Some very interesting reading. But it, it's really kind of exciting. Now, I, I mentioned that there's a second magic number. And he says in the article that depending on how you go about things and with some social engineering, he calls it. Oh, wow. I'm not sure what that would mean in detail, but he talks about yeah, it in the article. They, they used to call those blind dates. Is that what it was? <laughs> or double dates? No, blind dates. Uh-huh, okay. Blind double dates. That uh, actually you, sounds you, pretty good. You're into double dating things? Well, sure. Yeah, okay. Two girls and a guy. Yeah, it's a double uh, date. What? <laughs> or in your case, two guys and a girl. It's a double date. That would be dreaming. Yeah, probably. Probably. Okay. So anyway, check out that article. Oh, I, I didn't get to tell you. The second number that he quotes is that of 80 people for a sustainable group. But again, that one, that the lower number requires some, some really dis discreet, type of, and by discreet, I mean you've, you've got to have more control over the group in a certain way. They've got to be committed oh, to so making it work. Oh, so a double date, it'd be more like a fixed 
uh, a fixed group, fixed relationship. They may, and in fact, they might be established before they launch. Mm -hmm. And those, 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 that brings up a whole set of new challenges. Yeah, yeah. probably not established too you much know. because heaven knows. That you get up there and decide you don't want to stay together anymore. What's going to happen then? Now you got two wild cards out there bang, no, banging around the hallway. So, oh, you know, literally banging around. Yeah, that could be. That could be. <laughs> Moving on to our next segment, we're going to take a moment for station identification. Yeah. This is Blog Talk Radio, sharing with you the next space where we talk about space news. In the first half of the show and in the second half of the show, we launch into some commentary and, and discussion from you guys out there in the audience. Um, our number here, if you want to join in, is 714-242-5145. And our website is where? Well, they're already on there if you can hear us. Okay. Like, <laughs> Well, yeah, come on. Okay, give me a break. In private space this week, oh, new so space. Oh, we're not taking station identification? Yeah. Oh, that's what that was. Yeah, that's what that was. I did gave you the phone number. Say, I, did you I say anything about k Radio? No, I didn't, actually. That's your Ballywick. Well, Tell them about k Radio. k Radio. That's where we are right now. <laughs> <laughs> Those are our call letters. K-W-O-D. K-W-O-D. <laughs> If you like, uh, in addition, check out uh, the uh, newsine website at uh, www.thewad.net. Lots of pop culture news, a little bit of science news. We had an awesome week, by the way. We had on-the-spot news last weekend for that big earthquake we had in Arizona. Oh, yeah! Yeah. We we, got some great interviews on that. Lots of pictures. We sent some... (laughs) Send our top-notch reporter out there to get, you know get a handle of the locals and find out what they feel about You got Bugs Bunny it. to go interview? <laughs> no, Elmer Fudd. Oh, Elmer Fudd. He doesn't have. He doesn't try to talk much, does he? No, he. he yeah. He just does the article. Okay, good. His, I have to take his rifle away, but. Oh, okay. You never know about those borderline things. Yeah. I'm, yeah, them hunters. You never know where they're going to point that thing I know down. it. I know it. So I said, I said, okay, no guns. All right. He said, what is this? <laughs> We're in Arizona, aren't we? Yeah. Yeah. It's small game, not worth your bullets. Right. That, and he's okay then. Yeah. So anyway, we went out and talked to the locals, and, and that was a lot of fun. So you guys got to get on the KWAD. You got to get the, the WAD.net and find out about all that. Get the exclusive. Moving on to private space, private new space. space as it's often called. New space. Um, Firefly Space Systems announced their first small sat launch. Now, they are a ground-based small okay, satellite launch. Huh? Ground floats. I don't think so. <laughs> I think they just borrowed the name. Oh, okay. Well, what, well let me let me That's finish. Let me finish the explanation. You'll understand. Probably get an idea why they decided on Firefly. Okay. Now, they're a ground-based, small satellite company. Now, we're talking small sats. I mean, these little mini, itty-bitty little satellites probably fit in your hand type oh, of thing. Oh, they're cute ones. Yeah, little cute ones, kind of like a Firefly. See? Oh, they're really cute. Yeah. Okay. Well, they're not quite that small, but you get the idea. <laughs> anyway, they've announced their first launch vehicle is called Firefly Alpha. Now, the, the new vehicle is capable of carrying 400 kilograms into low Earth orbit 
and will be the world's first dedicated light satellite launch vehicle in the mass class. Now, after their official launch and seed funding in January, Firefly aggressively moved forward in its mission to lower the high cost of small sat launches to low Earth orbit and sun synchronous orbits. And, of course, their goal is to revolutionize broadband data delivery and Earth observation missions. I wonder if these folks are uh, working with uh, Google and their, their bid to do uh, huge broadband. Uh, you know. uh, I'm just curious. I don't know. It'd uh, be interesting to find out. Um, also, fans of the, uh, what is it, Planetary Society? Yeah, Planetary Society. Mr. Bill Nye, Planetary Radio host Matt Kaplan, they announced this week that the light sail is ready for launch. Do you know what the light sail is? Yeah, we talked about that a couple weeks ago, didn't we? Yeah, we did. Uh, they had a, a delay or something, or something was making progress. But they've actually announced uh, they're going to have a live webcast on Wednesday. That's this Wednesday, July 9th, from 7 to 8.30. They're going to talk to talk about it um, as they make... Um, a major announcement about the, the spacecraft. Now, LightSail 1 um, will spread its silver wings once it reach, reaches orbit and become visible to nearly everyone on Earth as it demonstrates uh, the new technology for space travel. So we'll hear about the mission. They'll get an inside look at the, at the CubeSat and the engineer explorers who build it, and they'll, they'll climax the evening with an exciting announcement about how LightSail will begin its journey. So that's going to be interesting because, you know, Solar sails. Do you remember? We're, we actually got to see solar sails in a film. Do you remember which one it was? <laughs> Big popular film. Oh, my. No, I don't remember. It was, uh, I believe, not the Emperor. Was it, it was Darth Vader? No, it wasn't Darth Vader because he uses the big ships. I want to say it was the Emperor. Is flying back. No, it's not the Emperor. Who was it? Oh, you know what? That was in the second set. Of, that was that was in the animation set. ones, wasn't it? Oh, see, yeah. Yeah. yeah, that was in the uh, the Clone Wars. That's right, we were watching. Yeah, the, what was that guy's name? Count Dooku. Was it Count Dooku? Yes, yeah, that's one with the extra arms. No, that's that's somebody else. I forget oh. his name. Dooku was the guy. He he rode with the solar sail, always going back and forth. Oh, he was a hat. No, that was somebody else. That was a bounty hunter. <laughs> Boy, you just don't know nothing, do you? Come on. And you call yourself a Star Wars fan. Yeah, well, no, I don't call myself that kind of Star Wars fan. I hardly ever watch those shows. But you know, there was there have been a couple of movies over the years that talked about and actually demonstrated solar sails. Um, I'm trying to... I can't remember them all. I'm going to have to look that up. Well, it would be good since you're the news guy. Yeah, I'll have to look that up, and, and maybe I can bring those links uh, to next, people next hey, next guess week. Guess what? We'll be talking about that next week. Yeah, Sierra Nevada, Sierra Nevada Corporation is a is poised to acquire uh, Orbital Technologies Corporation. Corporation. Now, I try to say that fast. Yeah, <laughs> uh, Orbital Tech uh, is a supplier of um, space components. And in the deal announced uh, by Sierra Nevada, Orbitech of Madison, Wisconsin, uh, 
give space based propulsion. And what? Thought they had one here. No, that's orbital. Orbital. They're actually, uh, I believe they do launch craft, mm -hmm. orbital sciences. Mm -hmm. I think they're, they're working. Out there and crazy. Yeah. 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 Uh, but Sierra Nevada is get Sierra Nevada is getting ready to buy uh, Orbitech. And they supply propulsion, environmental, and thermal control systems for the Dream Chaser uh, transport vehicle. Now, you know what the Dream Chaser is. It's like a little mini space plane. I think that's cute. Yeah. <laughs> Anything less than the size of a Saturn V is cute to you. I mean, yeah. go figure. Yeah. So, congratulations, Sierra Nevada and Orbit Tech. X-Core. Like the name. Mm. Dream Chaser. Yeah. X-Corps acquires Space Expeditions Corp. Space Expeditions Corp has been their sales arm for quite a while. Oh, and cool. so X-Corps is uh, acquiring them outright uh, to, pro to continue to provide their sales channel and wet lease and service to their wet lease customers and so forth. Oh, wow. So that's some interesting uh, stuff going on there as, as we see begin to see. And this is, what's interesting here is now we're starting to see some consolidation in new space, which can only mean good things. You know, if these people have got funds to start consolidating mm -hmm. and bringing in uh, other companies to buttress their efforts to actually get to orbit or suborbit, uh, this is this is an interesting thing to start seeing in this marketplace. Yeah. Astrobiotics Autonomous Landing System is tested on Maston's zombie flight. What? Now, first of all, this is not a dead zombie. Okay. <laughs> I know you're into Walking Dead, but this is a flying know. dead thing. It's a flying dead thing. That's god awful. Bad. <laughs> I swear, you author get any ideas like that, I'm gonna shoot you out of the sky. <laughs> I guess I can shoot you. Ooh, 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 that's yeah. Idea. Ooh, yeah. Zombie vampires. Oh my God, flying zombies. It just. Yeah. <laughs> involving on a unsuspecting citizens like birds oh my in Hitchcock's film. Whacking off the heads so they can take them home and eat them. Oh my goodness. Okay. Oh. Ooh, zombie pterodactyls. <laughs> yeah, actually, we thought about zombie zombie dinosaurs. That would be yeah. interesting. Huh. <laughs> Decaying uh, from the inside out okay. instead of the outside in. Yeah. Ooh. Ew. Talk about a bowl of meat soup. What a gooey mess. Yeah. All right. But, but we uh, digress. Maston has been a uh, uh, space systems has been doing a lot of uh, research and launches and so forth and, and gearing up for suborbital launches. But they're actually uh, Maston has been gradually moving into. Uh, lunar launches, or at least lunar lander development, as well as other rockets for small craft going up uh, in, even into orbit. Uh, they were part of the Google XPRIZE landing uh, contest the last few years. Oh. Uh, they've been doing a lot of cool things. Uh, the test was funded by Flight Operations Program of NASA Space Technology Mission Directorate. The, the zombie uh, Just so you know, it's rocket. differently. Yes, it is. X-O-M-B-I-E. Ascended to about 853 feet, 25 seconds. Then used cameras and inertial measurement unit for navigation. The astrobiotic auto landing system guided the vehicle to a precise landing. 
which is really interesting because we've been hearing a lot about automated landing systems on um, different craft. I mean, NASA had their craft um, recently. Oh, what was it? We talked about it last week. Man, I got too many too many rockets in my brain. Ah, <laughs> uh, like a problem. So, but yeah, and, and the interesting again, as I say, the market is growing, and entrepreneurs, smaller companies, are already making money on the ISS. Now, NanoRacks, I don't know if you've heard of them, pioneered commercial operations with a suite of payload accommodations on the, on the ISS. And paying customers can use these, these uh, uh, racks um, by or just ordering a space. They don't, customers don't have to build their own racks anymore because NanoRacks provides the racks. They're already approved by NASA for use on the ISS. Um, and in fact, um, what? I have a bit of a technical difficulty. Oh. So I'm going to be putting it up to you guys as uh, uh, I'm going to start with what he's just talking about now and, and going backwards to put up all the. Uh, What'd you do? Lose up all the links? Yep. You lost the links. I lost the links. So Aww. I'll put them back up for you guys. Apologize. It was slip of the hands. Oops. <laughs> anyway, keep going. Well, it should get caught up in a few minutes. Anyway, yeah, we're going to talk about some of the things that. Uh, well, like I said, NanoRacks uh, constructs the, ra the, the, the payload racks that experiments use and rest in on the ISS. Now, the prices are low enough that even some high schools are creating their own experiments wow, to put into these NanoRacks. Yeah. Now, uh, the NanoRacks has grown to 40 people so far, spend their time designing equipment and working it through the NASA safety wickets at the Johnson Space Center. So they're actually a private company doing work to provide experiments to the to the racks up on the ISS. So it's, it's, it's an interesting business. Again, small entrepreneurs uh, building profitable businesses. Now another one, Planet Labs, draws on the same technology base as smartphones. Now what they're doing. Um, is um, they're they're working on what? okay I got lost I'm trying to catch up okay they draw on the same technology base as the fast moving smartphone industry so what they're doing is the technology stuff behind the scenes circuitry and things like this and they're they're hoping to uh, be able to have the, the next generation of equipment available as um, on the next launch that somebody needs something. So again, components, uh, things like this, they're Silicon Valley of space, so to speak. Mm -hmm. So they're providing support and components and things like that. Sierra Nevada is in the running under NASA's commercial crew thing, and their seed money effort to take astronauts to the ISS with its reusable Dream Chaser. Now, at the third ISS Research and Development Conference, uh, back on the 17th and 19th of June, and this was uh, held in Chicago. Olson said the company will complete the lifting body vehicle on its own dime, even if NASA, even if they don't win the NASA contract, in the belief that there's enough business beyond the space station to make money. So these guys are committed, and and that's something that we need to know. That's seriously something we need to know. If the if the general public is going to get on board with space. They've got to believe that the challenges that, for example, 
of Virgin Galactic has, has faced. It's now 12 years since their announcement yeah. of getting people into, into, into um, suborbital space, and they haven't gotten there yet. New challenges all the time. So now, now we're going to go talk about our um, the chimpanzee in the room with the gorilla. Oh, no. Now the gorilla is, of course, ULA, United Launch Alliance, which is, uh, um, oh gosh, it's uh, Boeing and um, I forget what the other guys are. Uh, all of those people. Um, the government, every, a lot of people know about the lawsuit that SpaceX brought up right before uh, the big, well, actually, it was all in the same deal. SpaceX claimed the Air Force released a bid or uh, awarded a bid to the ULA launch group that was a sole source contract. A whole bunch of launches of, of stuff for the military. Now, SpaceX claims that the problem was they didn't put it out for bid. Well, the government fired back that, well, SpaceX wasn't ready to bid. They weren't qualified at the time. SpaceX believes, well, you didn't have to be qualified to bid. At, the, at least that's yeah. their assertion. Now, what the government has now done... Process, he said she said thing. Hmm? He, he said, said she, she said, said, yeah, a lot of that. And it's... there. It's it, Really, when you look at this, it's, it's all about getting the names in front of the people getting the names in front of the public. Right. You know, uh, but the government lawyers have argued for the dismissal of the rocket complaint because um, they argue that SpaceX knew about the contract uh, in, advance, in advance, but never protested until long after it was awarded. Therefore, SpaceX is not qualified to compete in the first place. So... A lot of stuff going on there. The lawyers are, are making money hand over fist over there. I yeah, imagine. get over it, guys. You know, well, it, it, you again, know. like I say, it's not so much about getting over stuff. It's more about the idea of keeping the names in front of the public so the public knows what you're doing. Uh, By contrast, so. think about this. Virgin Galactic hasn't been in the news in quite a while. You know, Sir Richard Branson hasn't been out there doing anything to make sure people remember, well, yeah, we're still plugging on. But then again, I don't, don't know if he's got much to report yet. Well, you know, yes, but no he, he actually does other things. Yeah, so he does. I mean, he's he got, stays in line like other ways. Right. So, lots of different things. Um, Good thing. On an upside, SpaceX appears to be winning the commercial launch business, even despite um, a uh, current uh, second delay of um, the uh, six Orbcom satellites from mid-May. They tried to launch it first, and they tried to launch it, uh, I think, last week, and it's been delayed again. SpaceX had advertised they wanted to launch 10 launches a year. Wow. Well, they're a little behind this year. Uh, in fact, a lot behind. They were making it pretty. Yeah. But, you know, if they can get 10 or 12 launches a year, that makes that their bottom line a lot more rise up into the black than it will be in the red, like a lot of other potential launch problems and challenges. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's kind of exciting that uh, they and, and other companies are actually doing well. Now, <clears throat> 4th of July, 
What two things go with Fourth of July besides fireworks? Watermelon. Watermelon was okay. <laughs> Keep going. Let's go right on down the list. Yeah, chicken. Yeah, picnics. Okay, no, no, no. We got fireworks. Barbecue and beer. 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 No. Yeah. No. Barbecue and beer. Well, for most sports-oriented guys, it's barbecue and beer. You tailgate. I suppose so. Barbecue and beer. Might be burgers, might be hot dogs, well, might be they chicken. Don't, they don't do... You know, it could be veggie burgers for all we know. Yeah. All right? Ew. So here's a new one for you. <laughs> Celestial Suds, they're calling them. Michigan-based Bells is pioneering a limited edition set of beers based on the famous orchestral suite by English composer Gustav Holst. Now, I had a copy of that album. In fact, I think I still do somewhere. I've got it where that album's made in coral. Orange coral. It's, it's an awesome. Gorgeous music. Incredibly gorgeous music. Now, this Celestial August... Suds. Celestial Suds. And basically what they did is... Um, in August, they're going to release the first in a series of beers based on the planets. There's going to be a beer for each planet, except the Earth, which the Earth wasn't in the whole symphony thing. <laughs> so, wow, seven of the planets in the solar system. So they're going to have uh, seven beers to choose from: Mercury, Venus, better. Mercury, Venus, Mars. Saturn, I don't know what it tastes like. I just want one. Uranus. <laughs> Neptune. I'm not even going there. Man. <laughs> Uranus and a beer. There you go. <laughs> I didn't say it. You did. <laughs> wow. Oh, you I, betcha. I can just yell that all those little boys are just going to laugh and giggle. How about that one? Little boys? <laughs> okay, big the guys at the bar, the guys at the barbecue, yeah, the want, tailgate. I want a <laughs> they're gonna, they're gonna be out at the stadium, toasting their team. Here's the Uranus. Go team! <laughs> wow. Okay. You know, this is kind of early. I didn't expect this kind of merchandising already starting. Why not? I don't know, because, I don't know, I just, it's just a surprise. Wouldn't that surprise you that they have come with beer for the celestial bodies? Well, keep in mind, the um, there is a, a heightened interest, or at least a heightened awareness of the space program and yeah, planetary science yeah. and symphonies. Now, keep in mind, this is Michigan. Okay. <laughs> All right. They have a lot of beer in Michigan. Well, they do have beer, but they also have uh, a lot of arts and culture stuff. So symphonies and things like this. And this is kind of like a natural for the time, you know. Um, and they're only releasing. Michigan has a lot uh, of They're releasing another offering every two months uh, out to July 2015. Hmm. So by then you'll be able to have the whole whole collection. Yeah, we get all the planets. There you go. I mean, think think about this. You know, the guy's got all seven planets on his shelf, in his cupboard, in his trunk. Imagine the jokes that can come out of that. <laughs> wow. Oh, the, the labeling is. You know, is, in Michigan, there's more there's more uh, basement bars 
per capita than any other state. Really? Oh, yeah. You know that personally? I had a lot of uncles and aunts up there. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right, so here's a second-hand knowledge. Uh-huh. Okay. All right. Or third. Ah. All right. Well, folks, again, um, we're about to, we're going to take a break. We're about to start into our commentary oh, yeah. section. Yeah. Thanks for um, listening. You're listening to uh, the Next Space, hosted on KWAD Radio, Blog Talk Radio, Internet Radio. Hey, our number is seven one four two four two five one four five. Call and join into the in the discussion as we come up on our second hour. Uh, we'll be introducing our, our, our topic for the night, um, but we're not going to hold to it. If you've got something else you want to bring up, again, related to manned space flight, uh, we look forward to talking to you. And off to our break, Miss Engineer. This is Patty Hellstrand. This is KWAD Radio, and this is going to take a brief break, and we'll be right back for more mayhem.
This is KWOD Radio, and this is Patty Holstrand, and yes, we're on live a Sunday, and we're in July already. I know, it's hard to believe, July 6th. But for those who really like, uh, you know, shopping for, you know, in, in July for Christmas, I know, it's crazy, isn't it? But there's a lot of people who do. And you know what? We have books you can buy. <laughs> so there you go. This is Al Joe. We're talking about space. Welcome back. I know. We've gone so long and forgot that we're done. We were talking about. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> sure. <laughs> um, I put enough to the voice down that we're going to talk about. We did a story okay. that talked about, um, cele- well, it talked about a magic number for... Uh, the quantity of people to send on a trip of 100 years or more uh, going to maybe another uh, uh, another star, another solar system, um, whatever the case may be. Um, there's a link in your Facebook. All right, did I? No, another one. Now, one of the things that we have to look at whether it be space settlement on uh, in our solar system, or whether it be this 100 to 200 year um, program of colonization and so forth, the challenge comes in selecting people to go. Now, typically, NASA has probably one of the most uh, stringent and detailed astronaut selection programs. Dagon thing takes um, almost two years, and this is just the candidate selection. Okay? So you might start in the first year where they put the announcement of, of openings uh, available, um, and say that happens uh, in, uh, we'll say November of one year. Okay? Two months later, the vacancy announcement is going to close. Then May to September of that year, uh, applications are going to be reviewed to determine high-qualified applicants, and the qualifications inquiry form is sent out. Um, and by high qualifications, we're talking um, things like, uh, oh, heavens, um, the degree programs, uh, the work history, and one thing most, but not all anymore, but most of the astronaut candidates today are selected out of the military. Uh, they have uh, aeronautical degrees, a lot of them. Uh, some of the newer ones uh, end up with uh, geological or uh, planetary uh, science degrees. Uh, they may have biological degrees. Uh, when working on uh, the issues associated with how the astronauts are performing in space or not performing, as the case may be. But the article that that we talked about was an article on uh, New Scientist that talked about a magic number for space pioneers was calculated. And he came up, uh, this uh, uh, John Moore from the University of Florida came up with two numbers. The first number was... 160 people. 
And so the assertion is that it would require 160 people on a trip of 100 years or more in order to have, one, enough people left over when you got there, a big enough gene pool that you wouldn't have a whole boatload of genetic problems when they started breeding, that 160 people would, would be a number that would give you enough people to actually set up when you got there. Mm -hmm. yeah. 160 people is enough of a, of a pool of people to have in flight that you can develop and refine relationships. Okay? So there's a lot of variables that go into this type of thing. Now, then he says in the article, but with some social engineering, it might even be possible to have this to 80 people. That's an awful small group. When you're talking a 100-year trip, yeah. Yeah. well, you're looking... That's very few people. That's, that's, yeah. Crazy. But here's some other things to think about. If you're talking about a generational shift, which is what this, this number is targeted to, you're looking at something that is dealing with uh, issues such as genetic diversity, enough men, enough women, uh, the possibility that you might take children with you. Well, that usually, yeah. Yeah. But I, I don't know. So, but but here's, here's the rub. I love the article. I think it's an awesome article, the research that they did, the things that they found out, the issues that they bring out, such as the genetic issues, the um, how much room you're going to have on the craft, for one thing, because it's going to be cramped spaces no matter what. Yeah. Um, yeah. If we can come up with an artificial gravity scenario where you've at least got gravity instead of floating around space all the time. You know, imagine trying to have kitties. I mean, delivery is problematic. Uh, uh, copulation is problematic. I mean... If you're both floating down the hallway at the same time towards each other, and all you want to do is give each other a kiss, can you imagine the docking procedure for that? Yes, I did. <laughs> um, but what I want to do is, uh, you know, it's it's an informative article. They talk about some important issues. Uh, to the end of making these kinds of decisions when it gets to the point where we're looking at um, generational shifts to leave the solar system. Uh -huh. But, but. if you're talking sending 160 people out of the solar system, we get a grand total of six in orbit. And they're only allowed to stay there six months at a time. So what's the big deal then, is what you're saying? Well, it's not so much what's the big deal, because it, it's, it's important research. That. It needs to be done. We need to have the research in place so that when we do get to the point of a generational ship leaving the solar system, that's going to be important. But I really don't think we're going to launch a generational ship from Earth. I really don't. Okay. okay. For the speeds they're going to generate, they're not going to be launching from Earth. They're going to be launching from either Mars or one of the moons of Jupiter because they're going to want to zoom into the sun, towards the sun, to pick up speed. 
and blast themselves out the other side on a big slingshot so that they can get enough speed to so that that generational trip isn't as long as it would be otherwise if they just used rocket power. Okay, so we've got some serious issues there. But what that means is, is that we've got to have a settlement program inside the solar system that gets us to that point. Okay. And one of the key points that I like to talk about on this show, particularly in commentary, is that we've got to get ourselves in order. We've got the Planetary Society. We've got, and they're focused on satellites and spacecraft to go do planetary research. Well, that's all well and good. It doesn't lend itself well to a whole lot of human spaceflight issues. Then you've got uh, NASA and all their efforts in trying to keep people on the space station without it falling into decrepit underuse. So the astronauts are spending, I think I read an article that suggested they spend almost half their time just fixing things on the space station. Yeah. yeah it's not like a house here on Earth where, you know, you go to work, you come home, you, you do your things, you've got like eight hours a day to 12 hours a day where you're awake and doing stuff that's not repairs. You know, yeah, you're going to mow the lawn on Saturday. Okay, yeah, you got to fix that cabinet in the garage uh, some month. It's stuff that you can that we often let slide. But when you're on the space station, half your time there, if not more, is spent on repairs and maintenance. Man, they really need a handyman up here. Well, they need something. <laughs> but, you know, a full-time maintenance tech wouldn't, wouldn't be a bad idea. You know, that could leave the astronauts and the team up there um, free to, to focus on the experiments. But the other thing is, is then that would free them up to allow a person to develop the expertise to handle these systems in space. You know, actually, the idea of having a handyman on the ISS is actually a very good idea. I think so. A technician and perhaps a couple of them. The only downside is, is you need... Um, two people and if you've only got room for six that really cramps the style on being able to run enough experiments for sure. so there, there are some issues but you know um, I know Bigelow has a SpaceX agreement with NASA to send up their beam module and I think it's either next year or the year after that would actually be an extra room on the space station if that proves out, then there might be room for Bigelow to send up one of their habitats to create extra living space for people at the station. And if that happens, that would open the door to allow more people to be staying at the space station on a regular basis. Be yeah, but we're, that's something that's at least three to five years away. Yeah. But see, my the point that it's I was getting too to far, though. no, it isn't. The, the point I was getting to is that that's that's one of the things we need to be working towards. We really need to be working about expanding the human presence in space, not just maintaining it. And um, since you bring up the idea of a handyman, someone who's working on the technology in zero-G, and his goal is to make his job as easy as possible. Sure. So he's not going to be looking at shortcuts. What he's going to be looking at is what are better ways to do this design? What are better ways to engineer these issues? Because you're dealing in a, in a weightless environment, microgravity, you're dealing in an environment where stuff is floating around all over the place. It's not like on Earth everything falls to the ground. So if you, if, if you actually let loose of a pair of, uh, 
a pliers or a screwdriver, it's not going to drift off somewhere. It's going to fall down to the floor, and you can go down and pick it up. Although, the nice thing about space is you don't need to carry a ladder. That <laughs> gives a little, little kickoff, and you're fine. Right. There you go. But another bad thing is, is you spring a water leak, and it's all over the place. It don't fall to the ground and trickle down to the drain. No, it's everywhere. It's on a wall. It's on ceiling. It's all over you. You're floating down the hallway and get spliced in the face by a drop of water from a water leak. You know, well, it's where we're coming to. But here's, so, so let's go back to our original point at the beginning of the, the commentary section. And selection criteria for people to go on a long-term mission. And one of the things that I was questioning when I was uh, reviewing this article for inclusion this week is that I wonder if some of these same issues apply to what um, people are looking at when it comes to settlement of, of the moon or Mars or, or uh, Titan or Ganymede. Yeah. I mean, we want to have a reasonable group. Uh, we need a group that can get along with each other. We need ways to select people to go and settle these places and yet, they need to be capable of not only just surviving to settle and to build a community, but also so that we can go forward and grow the community. Absolutely. And, of course, one of the biggest challenges that, that I throw out to the group, uh, to the listeners, is, is that I believe one of the things, the biggest, I think the single greatest challenge that we face as a species is the fragmentation that exists um, with um, the many programs about getting into space long term. You've got Mars Inspiration, you've got Mars One, you've got Mars Direct uh, for the Mars Society, you've got um, the Moon Society, you've got uh, some uh, space advocates wanting us to go to the moon to set up a base. But a base is not a settlement. It's a temporary hotel room. And it's only good for a couple of years. Um, we're fragmented. And until somebody can come up with, or a groups can come together and create a consolidated vision, the general public isn't... It's like having 200 voices all pulling the public in different directions. What we need is a single voice that says, Moon Society is going to put us on the moon. This plan to get to the moon, to have some methodology of constructing or, or delivering a habitat and in some way to expand that and mining for water ice and, and then developing uh, robotics to like a, like a business plan. And that's important and that's, that's Moon Society's job so to speak, okay? What what would a settlement on the moon be like? And then you've got the next crew, which would be the Mars Society. They should be defining how a Mars settlement would either be the same or different. And they should share and compare notes and be creating a common vision that says our first step is to the moon, to establish there, to learn the tricks of the trade, to decide how we're going to assemble the I Mars ship, to find out stuff. And then to go from the moon, perhaps Lagrangian L2, um, EML2, 
and then from there to go to Mars. And then from Mars, we want to move out to the outer planets and reach mm-hmm. out to um, Titan and Ganymede. You know these these moons, and then and then from there we need to look at being able to move outwards of the solar system for what uh, John Moore is talking about, selecting large groups of people to send beyond the uh, solar system boundary. Um, so I mean that's that's the point I'm trying to make for tonight. And so let me ask you these questions. I mean, what kind of things, as as a woman, you are a woman, right? Well, it depends on your definition. Of what? A woman. Oh, no. All right. We'll, we'll, we'll qualify. You're female. I'm female, yeah. You're female. So, as a female, now you actually have a son, so you're also a mother. Yes. And you've been married, so there's there's wife. So, you've got you've worn all the hats. Wife, mother, yeah. woman, wife, yeah. mother, feminist. Yeah. Um, what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. feminist at one point. Um, and of course, also you you you're you're uh, an author, yeah. uh, businesswoman. Yeah. So there's there's um, <laughs> there's a lot of facets to your life that that encourage you to look at the issues that would be faced. It's like I'm a kitty mama too. On a settlement. Well, you know, and pets is another thing. Are we going to take pets into space? Yeah, no, that's a tough one because you know you don't really find out home. Yeah, but you've got you got all the waste products. You got the shedding of the hair. Yeah, yeah. And heaven forbid you get fur balls popping up all over the doorways. Yeah, no, she didn't. Floating know. through the cabin and all that kind of good stuff. So I don't know about well, that. Well, you know, then then you think about okay, in in the Enterprise, uh, Captain had a beagle. Yeah. So he had his dog. And Data had the cat? Yeah, Data didn't have a cat. Which is kind of weird. But well, he, he yeah. wanted to be like people. So he thought right. that would do it. But the issue still stands. What qualifications... Yeah. <laughs> what qualifications would you feel would be important for a frontier settlement on the moon or Mars? What kind of qualities would we be looking for in people? Oh, in people? Sure. Well, hardy. Some people who, uh, you know, are pretty healthy. Okay. Okay. So, generally, are you suggesting we generally follow NASA's uh, guidelines for astronaut candidates? I suppose. I'm not sure what they're doing. Well, some aspects of the candidacy for an astronaut are you've got to be under a certain age. Ah. Do you think that applies for a settlement program? Not really. Um, Why not? Well, okay, if it's a, if, you know, you can have a 56-year-old who is still relatively healthy. Okay. And it's going to be different for them. I mean, you know, honestly, do they have anything to lose here? Maybe not. Wife or husband may be gone. Right. And oh, he's going to be going to space. So why not? They're relatively healthy. They, they can... Find back or probably do than, than young people can. They very well might. So uh, that you know, that's important, and obviously somebody who can you know uh, help to do the fundraising. Yeah. Help to get them there. 
Okay. Have the inspiration and But you know, if you've got 50-year-olds and 60-year-olds up there, you're not going to be having babies. Well, that's So there's not a whole lot of hope for the next generation. Yeah. I'm not saying, no, no, come on. If you have men out there, they can still pop them off. (laughs) It's women that would have a problem after 50. Well, that's true. That's true. And there's women, you know, who keep having children, 30 yeah. or 40 years old. Well, we had that woman, what, a couple of years ago, and was it Italy, I think, who uh, actually gave birth at 60-something. Crazy woman. <laughs> what? Not sure why a woman at that uh, age would really want, want to go through I all of that. that. I mean, it's, it's bad enough for a 20-year-old to go through That's that. That's for sure. But, I don't know. But, you know, the thing about... Whether you're settling, whether you're settling a planet in another star system, or whether you're settling the moon, or even for that matter, whether you're building a settlement inside a uh, a big cylinder in space, it should be kind of cool. Okay, you, you're going to have artificial gravity. There's there's right. potentially a lot of That's things. I mean. These are people that that do they really need to be that hardy? Do you really need to be that strong? I mean, you talked about the geriatrics I'm crew. I'm not saying that they need to be strong. I'm saying hardy, meaning that their immune system is decent. Okay. okay. Uh, solid immune system. Now, see, there's a medical qualification. So they've got to have a decent immune system. I think so. Or do you think there's height or no. size requirements? Well, you know, obviously the larger you get. The more uh, problematic. The more problematic you more problems you're going to have whether you know they're there or not. Uh, surprise! You know. <laughs> guy pops out seven foot two Shaquille O'Neal trying to get on a spacecraft to sit in a. Uh, right, yeah, see that that might be a that might be a bit of a problem. I mean, <laughs> he had to pull them in half, you know. Yeah. Three so. three pieces even, you know. Oh yeah, easily. Well, yeah. could we even build a spacesuit for him? Well, that's just it. Yeah, see, that's something I didn't think about. So, yeah, I mean, you're going to want an average weight and height. You said the ideal. The ideal settler will be a certain weight and height based on the fact that, you know, again, things like their spacesuits need to be retrofitted to them. Right. And there's some variability in the way that spacesuits are built, so maybe we can build units that fit different people. Um, what about know. temperament? What about temperament? Yeah, Personalities. Yeah, I mean, yeah. what, can, what kind of issues do you think we'd run into there? Well, you know, I, I remember... Uh, I mean, just the idea of two people living alone, much less <laughs> uh, 20, or, or in this case, 160 for Mr. John yeah, Morris. I had a pastor once who did personality tests when he was trying to find people to fit in a certain slot in his, right. in his office. Well, that's, that's, that's interesting. And he said it had to be a certain mix. Yeah. Um, you know, those poor people who are already there, uh, they don't need the same thing. Right. So he was looking for a certain person, a person type, to fit that spot. And some just didn't work there in that particular spot. Yeah. And... Uh, I thought that was interesting. I never really heard it that way. Well, let's talk for, for let's let's take that idea for a moment. Let's talk about uh, Survivor, the TV 
TV shows. Mm -hmm. Now, they put together teams, they throw people together, and you've got quite a diverse group of people there. Right, and could more these, likely they've planned that. Could this be a way of selecting people for space travel? Because now, see, Mars, Mars 1, I think it is, is talking about a survival-type TV show where people would go on and they would be, that, that show would help select their crew to go to Mars. Oh, for sure. I well, mean, at least you, that's what you start, you, you know, it's like any group. It's kind of like, you know, heaven forbid, I know it's a bad thing. Okay, bachelorette. That's your bachelorette. You have a bunch of, you know, guys all clamoring for attention to the one woman. So you get a diverse group, you know, so you got, I mean, heaven forbid they're all engineers. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, and have rid of, really haven't been rid of draw lawyers. So. No, we just shoot that ship right into the sun. <laughs> I didn't say Give them did. no windows so I they don't know it's coming. They do not yeah, know it's coming. Yeah, I know. Their cords are going to be totally off of their parachute. But I guess I'm saying that, you know, you don't throw all the same kind of guy at this, at this one bachelorette. You have a dispersion of different types. Yeah. Same would apply, as as John Moore here says, um, when selecting not only for personality, mm -hmm. selecting for genetics. Yeah. You want a nice variety of gene yeah. pool. And if you're talking about, you know, the ability to uh, spawn, mm -hmm. <laughs> then you would need somebody who could handle having children. Maybe you already had one at least, so you know there's no issue with her not being able to have children. Yeah. Okay. There's that. Uh, and the man again has he spawned others? You don't want <laughs> you don't want that people look going up there. Ah, <laughs> uh, see that, that 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 just gives me a whole uh, yeah we know whole you, you, new you idea. don't have that people. So. No no no, that just gives me a whole <laughs> new idea for the title of something. <laughs> You ready for this sci-fi film? Oh, no. Okay. Spawn of Earth. Spawn of Earth. <laughs> they sent their best, and then what happened? No, we didn't send our best. <laughs> oh, we just sent our best. We, we just sent them all. We sent them all, okay. <laughs> there we go. So, yeah, those but, are all little things you have to think about. Get, you know, give a variety, and then let the people, you know, pick and, pick and yeah. choose. I think like those are important points. Yeah. Well, not just that, but you know, and then there's also skills. She usually makes you know, you make a, you make a very valid point. We don't want a whole bunch of astronauts going either. No. And in fact, no. we need people that are geologists. Um, yeah, that's a big Yeah. That are geologists, architects, plumbers. Um, Electricians, uh, all of those things that are going to be skills needed, whether it's on the whether it's on the um, the moon or Mars, the moons of Jupiter or heaven, or we get that far and they're on the the habitat headed out to, to space. You know, I really like the idea that you point out of putting a handyman actually on the international oh, space yeah. station. I mean, that just makes sense. Yeah, you need is. somebody up there to handle that. And somebody who rotates through every sure. six months. And that's his sole job. I, I really have to admit, I'm, I'm really surprised 
that NASA hasn't considered that. Because then that person could not only handle most of the repairs, but they could start doing things like in the handyman, in the, in the maintenance industry that I am in, we have a program called preventive maintenance, where we go in and we fix things or we check things before they break. Oh, yeah. We know what the signs of stress are, and so we can swap stuff out ahead of time before it becomes a problem. Like the recent issue that they had with smoke in the Russian segment. They had to shut part of their um, system down. Yeah. And so this becomes an ongoing issue. And I have to admit, it, it really is a surprising aspect that NASA hasn't considered setting up a, uh, a maintenance tech on the station. Yeah, you would think so. The astronauts really need to be free to be doing other stuff. So, yeah, okay. So anyway, food for thought. Lots of food for thought. Um, I think we're going to wrap this up tonight. We've left you with lots of food for thought. <laughs> A veritable smorgasbord of thoughts. Seriously, when you consider the aspect and, and the qualification programs that Mars won, Mars Inspiration, uh, the NASA programs, even ESA uh, is slightly different, and the Russians' selection program criteria are slightly different from that that we have from NASA. Uh, Virgin Galactic will have criteria for customers uh, published on their website, as well as X-Core will, and uh, Sierra Nevada and their Dream Chaser craft yeah. will all have minimum requirements that, that people will have to meet in order to ride on their spacecraft. That's cool. So it's going to be interesting to see how this all plays out and the kinds of people that end up going up as well as going outward Well, when we do get to the point where we're ready to settle the moon and Mars and beyond. And beyond! There we go. Infinity and beyond! <laughs> <laughs> We're just having fun here, K-Wad. Yeah. But uh, our time is just about up for tonight. Um, this is Al. This is Joe. From the next space, talking about space news and space commentary. Wishing you all a pleasant week. If you've heard something or questioned something that we talked about tonight, don't be bashful. Don't be shy. Call us, question us, challenge us. I dare you. We'll be here next Sunday. You know and find us. Same bat channel, same bat time. Same space channel, same space time. <laughs> Come on, let's get it right. Hey, I like bats. Yeah. <laughs> so with that, pass it on here. This has been KWOD Radio, and this is Patty Holstrand signing off for the night. You guys have a great night. We'll be back again. I know, you're saying, when? Next Sunday, on the 13th at 7 p.m. KWOD Radio signing out.